Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 688 with Robin Hills. Robin is sharing how you can develop your emotional intelligence and what difference it makes. You'll learn one, how to build the five domains of emotional intelligence. Two, a handy question for getting helpful feedback. And three, how selfishness can help us actually be more selfless. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP688. Now, here is Robin's story. Robin is the director of EI for Change, a company specializing in education, training, coaching, and personal development focused around emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience. He's taught over a quarter million people in 185 countries how to build resilience, increase self-awareness, and understanding of others. He's the author of two books and has delivered keynote speeches at conferences across the world, including at Harvard University and the Northwest Committee of the Association of Business Psychology. Big thanks to Robin for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Robin, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be with you, Pete. Thanks for inviting me along to speak to your listeners. Well, you've had some exciting occurrences in your career, and I want to hear a little bit about how your experience as a door-to-door cosmetic salesperson impacted you to study emotional intelligence. <laughs> uh, well, let me uh, wind back uh, the clock to the start of my career. I, I had a degree in biology that I just completed, and I wanted to get a job in medical selling. This was an opportunity for me to utilize my biology degree, my knowledge, but at the same time, I wanted to get some more skills, some uh, interesting insights into utilizing my biology degree in a different way. And so I applied for a number of jobs to become a medical salesperson. Unfortunately, after interview, after interview, after interview, I kept getting the feedback, well, you're okay, but we want you to get some experience. You haven't had any selling experience. So I thought, well, where can I get my selling experience from? And I found in the local paper a job advertisement for a company called Avon, Mm -hmm. which sold cosmetics door to door. So I thought, okay, well, I might as well apply for that and see what happens. So interestingly, I got offered the opportunity. I think they were desperate. (laughs) 
But um, it gave me the chance to knock on doors and effectively sell. But the interesting thing is I had a degree of success with it. So I went along to one of the sales meetings at the end of this particular campaign thinking, okay, well, I've sold £40, equivalent to about $60. And the room was filled with, must have been about 25, 30 middle-aged women who were all good, successful Avon ladies. And it was me, a (laughs) 20-year-old. And they went through the recent campaign, the successes, and they said, um, all right, well, let's have a look at who sold the most this month. And there was me having sold £40. So I was the top salesperson for that particular region for that particular quarter. That was a whole quarter of sales. Oh, my. (laughs) That was a whole quarter of sales. So I was really, really pleased with it. Um, I was actually awarded as a prize six new brochures to help me to promote the next campaign. I see. And did you develop some emotional intelligence insights along the way in your sales career that boosted your performance? This was about the time that Peter Salovey and Jack Mayer at Yale University was starting to write their academic papers that brought emotional intelligence into the world. But during that time, I'd had a very successful sales career in medical selling, selling into the London teaching hospitals. And I recognized whilst I was doing that, that there were certain doctors that I was selling to who I had really good engaging conversations with and I could deep I could develop deep relationships with them. And that came about through something I didn't know and I didn't understand. And I, I don't think anybody else really knew or understood at the time. Here we had groups of intelligent, cognitively intelligent people and Some of them were very easy to engage with and some weren't. And it was only until I read Daniel Goldman's book that I suddenly realized, ah, that's the answer. Those doctors that were good at engaging and good at developing relationships and communicating well had what we now know as emotional intelligence. They had an ability to work with their thinking, their cognitive intelligence, and work with their emotions to build up authentic relationships, communicate, and make good decisions. Uh Well, that all sounds like great stuff, and we'd like to have more of it. I'd love to get your take then. Can you offer a, it sounds like maybe you just did. (laughs) Was that how you would define emotional intelligence? It's just that? That was just it. Let me repeat it. It it is very simple. It's quite a complex construct, but emotional intelligence is being smart with your thinking in order to utilize the way in which you're feeling about situations to make uh, good quality decisions and build authentic relationships. And by so doing, you improve your well-being. And by so doing, you're able to manage, manage your stress and motivate yourself and motivate other people. I've expanded on the Uh definition a little bit there. Basically, emotional intelligence is being smart with your thinking to utilize your emotions effectively 
Okay, certainly. Well, that sounds handy. I suppose there are those who, I guess let's talk about the emotional intelligence skeptics who would say, you know what, that sounds soft. It's not like a hard skill like finance or Python or something. And it kind of sounds like a catch-all for sort of everything in terms of, hey, we're thinking and we're interacting with people. So do you have a, a message for the skeptics in terms of just what kind of an impact, quantitatively speaking, might we expect this to make for professionals? And um, to what extent is it learnable versus, oh, you're just a natural with people. You're just to have a calm temperament, Robin. Well, the interesting thing is, this has come out through the research, is that cognitive intelligence is fixed about the age of 18. So by the time you've gone through your teens, your cognitive intelligence is a fixed quantity. It won't change. However, your emotional intelligence can change and will change with learning up to about and beyond the age of 70. So we've both still got plenty of time to become more emotionally intelligent. Now, emotional intelligence is not an easy thing to work with. So the skeptics, more often than not, they'll dis-emotional intelligence, and more often than not, they're the ones that don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. They don't have this open mind to be able to embrace something that is outside of their comfort zone. Cognitive intelligence, something that you can quantify, the finance side, the technical side, the, the Python part that you were talking about. All of that is very easy to learn. It's quantifiable. Emotional intelligence tends to be a lot more nebulous. So to the skeptics, I would actually just say to them, well, you actually take your emotions to work with you, whether you like them or not. You don't leave them in the trunk. I'm using the American terminology. You don't leave it in your car. You don't leave it at home. You, you take your emotions with you and you need your emotions because your emotions will actually help you to make the decisions that you need to make. Without emotions, we cannot make decisions. And this has been proven time and time again, that in order to make decisions, just a simple decision, shall I have a cup of tea or shall I have a cup of coffee, requires an emotion. It requires you to have a preference for one over the other. So once you actually understand the basics behind emotions driving decisions, you can actually then start to think and work with emotions more effectively by saying, well, what is it that I need to do to utilize my emotions well in order to make better decisions? Mm -hmm. And to put it into some kind of quantitative context, and I do not want anybody to quote me on this because this is not confined to memory, but I believe it's been said that people who have one or two points of emotional intelligence that they have improved upon and they've learned can increase their salary by about $30,000. So this is something well worth considering. I mean, whether the figures are right or not, it, it doesn't matter. The, the important thing behind what has been said is that you can actually increase and improve your career prospects by improving your emotional intelligence. And so then could you perhaps walk us through a story of a person who had lower moderate emotional intelligence on either overall or on a particular sub-dimension of emotional intelligence, what they did to improve it 
and then the cool benefits they reaped as a result of having done so? I've actually worked as an emotional intelligence coach for a number of years, helping people in terms of working with their emotional emotional intelligence. And the first aspect of that is to look at defining their emotional intelligence, quantifying it using a robust, scientifically validated emotional intelligence assessment. And the one that I prefer to use is the EQI 2.0, which was developed by Ruvon Baron back in the 90s. He's an Israeli psychologist, and his work has been repeated time and again in terms of looking at this assessment. And the beauty of the Baron assessment is that it can actually help to increase self-awareness around what a person's core strengths are, what their gifts are, what their qualities are, that they can actually then take into the workplace and say, this is what I'm good at. So if I do a role which is helping me to support these talents, these gifts, these capabilities, I will be able to do my best work. Now, what we will also then look at is how those are balanced against things which get in the way. And sometimes people will have components of emotional intelligence that are not low. They're actually moderate to quite high. But the blend of all the other elements of emotional intelligence means that they get in the way and it causes some issues. It causes them to have liabilities. Somebody, for example, might be too empathetic. They might be too good at understanding things from people's perspectives so that they can't help or make a rational decision to support that person because they think, oh, I know that by doing this, it's going to upset them. Uh So look at something like empathy and say, right, how can you take that bit and drop a little bit down on the empathy. And it might be a case of moving up their assertiveness or moving up something around their emotional independence, whatever it is. Um, And looking at ways in which we can take the person as a whole and move them from a point of, I'm actually doing really well here, to I'm actually doing excellently here. Uh The beauty of this is that uh, through coaching, through a period of three to six months and working on various parameters, we can actually see improvements. I was working with um, somebody who had lost their job, not through any fault of their own. Their role was made redundant, and through that, they were found themselves looking for another job. So they got in touch with me, and we sat down and we had some conversation around what it was that he was wanting to do, and um, we put together a plan. And I said to him, well, I think what we ought to be doing is looking at building your self-awareness through an emotional intelligence assessment through the EQI 2.0. So you've actually got something to talk about at interview and you've actually got something to work on. So we agreed, we did the assessment. Um, We actually utilized some of the information that came out of the assessment to reconstruct his resume around what it was that he was good at and how he applied his emotional intelligence in the workplace so that he had some really good stories to answer questions around an interview. 
he went through three or four interviews before he actually got a job that he was really pleased with and was an absolute perfect fit. And off the top of my head, I can't remember how long he's been there as the CEO, the managing director of this company, but I think it's probably in the region of about five or six years. And I I spoke to him during the lockdowns that we had in the United Kingdom here during the pandemic. And he was saying that he has still managed to keep the company afloat, going well, and he's got some brilliant plans for the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then by engaging in some of that stuff, we got some self-awareness by which we were able to have some compelling a resume or CV content and interview stuff, which made a great impression so as to make opportunities come about. So that's cool. Well then, so tell us this EQI version 2.0, you know, I don't remember if this is the one I did. This is so long ago, but I guess what I found a little tricky is that you tell me, does this rely on me saying that I do things frequently or not frequently or some of the time or most of the time, or how does the assessment work? Yes, it's very much as you've described there, Pete. So there are 153 uh, questions which are measured on what's known as the Lickart scale. So you uh, strongly disagree at one end of the scale with an, uh, a statement, and you strongly agree with the statement at the other end, or the statement at the other end of the scale. And through the statements that you are agreeing or or disagreeing with, the actual results are constructed from the answers that you give. Now, within the um, EQI 2.0, it's 153 questions because three of those questions are what we would call red herrings. They're in there to test whether you're actually trying to game the system. So there are little tests in there just to just to check and double check. Um, but to go back to what I was hearing was your your point. It is a self-assessed assessment. So it's going on the answers that you give yourself. Now, with there being so many, and quite a few of these statements are double negatives, it's very difficult to try and come out favorably and to work the system in a favorable way towards yourself unless you know what to do. Most people don't. But then to help and to build upon it and to create a more robust way of looking at a person's emotional intelligence, and because emotional intelligence involves relationships, the great thing about the EQI 2.0 is that it's got a 360 so you can go out to various people, both inside and outside of work, uh, in order to get their views around how you're working with and how you're utilizing your emotional intelligence. So you've got your own assessment, and then you can actually look at, well, this is what your manager is thinking of you. Mm-hmm. And this is what your colleagues who are at the same level of you as you are same level as you within the organization are thinking about you. And this is how your the people that report into you are thinking about how you're using your emotional intelligence. And this is what your family and friends are saying. Now, somebody who is 
very good at emotional intelligence along all the levels will have consistency, but uh, most people don't. Uh-huh. And they might be very good at influencing their, their leader or their manager, very good at influencing their colleagues, but they have a particular behavior when they're trying to communicate and influence people who reported to them. Uh-huh. And they might be a completely different person outside of work. So it really does give a, a lot more robustness to the assessment, a lot more depth, a lot more dimension to it. And it allows for some really cathartic coaching conversations. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, so we got 153 questions. And you mentioned a number of these parameters or dimensions like empathy, assertiveness. How many dimensions are there? And can you name them? So uh, within the EQI, there are five facets. So let's have a look at each of the facets in turn. Um, The first one is self-perception. So that's how you perceive yourself in the world. So it's what goes on in your inner world of thought and feelings. And that then leads into self-expression. So this is looking at how you are expressing yourself. So it's looking at some of the components, which include the assertiveness component, but it's also looking at emotional expression. And that then links into interpersonal relationships. And it's within the interpersonal relationships that you will be looking at how you're engaging with other people. So it will pull in the facet of empathy. It'll also pull in other other facets, such as your social corporate responsibility. That then links into decision-making. So this is looking at how you are going about making decisions. So it's looking about uh, how you go about solving problems, how you are going about working with reality. So these are some of the components of the decision-making facet. And the decision-making facet then feeds into stress management. And within stress management, you've got things like stress tolerance, resilience, you've got optimism, and you've got things like perfectionism in in there. And all of those are um, measures. They're measured within the EQI 2.0. The stress management facet then links back into self-perception. And overarching all of that, is well-being and how you're feeling about how things are going within the world and your contribution towards that. Okay. Well, so I'd love to get your take then. So we've got these five facets, self-reception, self-expression, interpersonal relationships, decision-making, and stress management. What is your favorite, let's say, exercise, assignment, tool, thingy people can do, if you will, that's the scientific term, that makes a big impact in each of these five facets. Yeah, well, this is a very interesting little exercise that I've run in my live workshops when we were able to run live workshops. And I say, right, get your mobile phone out. What I would like you to do is to text three to six people, three to six of your friends, I'm in a training workshop, and I'd like you to feedback to me some of my key strengths and what it is that you like about me. And quite a few people, a little bit reluctant to do that in the first instance, but they do it. And then they're sitting there with the phone 
in front of them and the phone keeps pinging as all these messages come in and people will look at them and they will read these messages and I can feel the the positive climate rising within the room as people were are getting feedback in a very affirmative way around what their friends and family like about them. And more often than not, people will come up to me and say, oh, this is what somebody has said about me. And what I say to them is, well, how do you feel about that? What, what are your thoughts around what you've just been told? Well, I thought that's what I did well, but I've never been told before. Or I didn't know that they valued that in me. And that's a very simple little exercise uh, that people can do. Look out for good feedback from family and friends. So when people say to you, you're good at doing this, our automatic reaction is to kind of dismiss it as if, you know, how everybody does that. Well, no, they don't. Uh What are your core strengths? What is it that people see in you? What is it that people value in you? If you don't know, ask them. If you're embarrassed to ask them, send them a text. I'm in a training session. Uh Give them an excuse, whatever, but get the feedback. And you're not asking for any negativity there. You're asking for positive feedback around what people value as your qualities. And people are very, very generous because they like their friends, but we don't often tell our friends why we like them because it just doesn't sound right or it sounds trite or it doesn't come across the right way. Or we do, but people don't uh, listen to the compliment. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. So that's quick. It takes just a couple of minutes and you could get a, a nice upgrade. Like you might be surprised in terms of, huh, three out of the six people said this and I didn't even think that was anything special. As you said, with strengths, we tend to think, oh, everybody does that, but they don't. So beautiful. No, they don't. No. And, and if I want to know what my weaknesses are, I just have to go and ask my wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> She'll give me half a dozen I've not even thought about. So uh, don't go there. Don't go there. Look, I'm going into an appraisal tomorrow with my manager. Can you give me some feedback around what I've done well over the last three months that you really value? Mm-hmm. I'm going for an interview tomorrow. I'd like to know what it is that you really value in me as a mentor. Three to six people, wait for it to come through, enjoy it, build yourself up, go into your interview, go into your appraisal with some good evidence. And you can look the person straight in the eye and say, this is what I'm good at, because this is what people tell me I'm good at. Uh And then how about for self-expression? What's the quick prescription for a a boost there? Well, in terms of self-expression, how are you expressing your emotions? Are you expressing them in an effective way? So if you're feeling annoyed with somebody, what do you do? How do you express that annoyance? Are you angry with them? If you are angry, really angry with them, do you go home and kick the cat? Do you go home and take it out on the wife? Or do you have a way of actually managing that anger and working with it in the most appropriate way. Now, anger is a very easy emotion for us to talk about because 
there's a high level of intensity around it. But how about if you're feeling anxious? How are you working with anxiety? We're not trying to get rid of anxiety or feelings of anxiousness because they actually serve a purpose, indeed, as does anger. But let's look at anxiety. Prior to me coming on to speak with you, Pete, I was feeling mildly anxious. Good, because I need that emotion to physiologically put me in the right place and mentally put me in the right place so that we can have an engaging conversation. Without that, I wouldn't be in the right frame of mind to be able to come along and be interviewed by you. So let's not try and get rid of anxiety. Let's recognize the quality that that emotion will provide in me, in the way in which I'm engaging with the world, and work with it and embrace it. Now, I don't like feeling anxious like, any more like any other person does, but it's an important emotion. So how do you express your happiness? How do you express your pride? How do you express uh, your fear? And how do you express your concerns and frustrations? You know, I've mentioned, what, half a dozen emotions there. There are probably between about 3,000 and 27,000, depending on which research paper that you read. Well, we're not going to go through all of those tonight. Mm -hmm. But let's have a look at... Um, Let's have a look at a kind of myth out there. And I think in terms of emotional intelligence and in terms of psychology, there are psychologists and emotional intelligence practitioners that fall into the trap of labeling emotions as positive and negative. Well, emotions are emotions. They're not good or bad, black or white, um, valuable or invaluable, they are emotions. And it's what we do with them, how we behave, that is positive or negative, not the emotion itself. Anger, for example, is usually labelled a, a negative emotion. Well, if people don't get angry, what are they going to do to right or wrong? How are they going to use it to motivate themselves to overcome an injustice? So that's an appropriate use of anger. That is anger being positive. Happiness, oh, that's a positive emotion. Have you tried communicating with somebody who's deliriously happy? Hello, trees, hello, flowers, hello, grass. Don't worry, be happy. They take far more risks. So it, we, we really want to be able to work with and blend our emotions and express them in the right way get away from positive or negative emotions. This is the way in which I am feeling at the moment. These are the reasons. Let me express myself in the most appropriate way. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And then for interpersonal relationships, is there a top suggestion you recommend to upgrade that? Well, I think uh, one of the key components there is empathy. How do you see people viewpoints from different angles and the best way is to ask them how are they feeling how are they thinking i think the other core component of empathy that most people completely overlook is this ability to listen to really truly listen to what the person is saying so it's going beyond the words they're using and picking up on subtle cues in terms of body language, facial expressions, gestures, uh, the way in which they're utilizing their voice. 
So empathy is something that I would encourage people just to try and get better at. And the way to do that is to, when you're watching a movie or you're watching television, just um, watch how the actor is actually expressing their emotion through the way in which they're using their body, they're using their voice, they're using their um, their, their gestures, they're using the the words. Just watch out for it and think: Am I actually understanding this emotion? And that's an easy way to actually look at ways of developing empathy, so that when you see it in some of the people you're working with and you're leading with, you can actually then think: Ah, um, this is the emotion that I am perceiving. Am I correct? And it will help you in terms of asking the right question in order to test your hypothesis. And I think what we do tend to do in empathy, oh, I can see that person's angry. So I'll go and interact with them in a way that helps me to uh, deal with the anger that I am uh, perceiving. And it might be that the person's not angry. They just happen to be frustrated or they just have a certain intensity and wanting to communicate at that particular moment in time. So uh, I think the important thing is to take our judgments as hypothesis. Go out and test them. Uh -huh. Okay. And when it comes to decision making? Decision making is another interesting one. How do you go about making decisions? How do you utilize your creativity to solve problems. Um, often we talk about brainstorming as a way of going, um, getting ideas, new ideas about doing things. And I'm quite a, a fan of the scamper technique, which uh, is well used in creativity to help people to look at problems, to look at situations from a different perspective. So, Without going into too much detail about all the components of Scamper, it's taking something and blowing it up to a very large size. It's taking something and it's minimizing it down to a very tiny size. It's reversing it. It's actually looking at it, it from a number of different ways in order that you can actually then say, hmm, if I was to do it this way, I would get a completely different solution. A very good example is the ballpoint pen. If you actually magnify that and increase it up, it actually then becomes a bigger unit with a ball on the end. And that was the impetus for people to develop the roll-on deodorant. Okay. That came from looking at the scamper technique. Mm -hmm. And that's substitute, combine, adapt, modify, put to another use, eliminate, and rearrange. And when you're thinking about something, you can just kind of, hey, how do I modify this? How do I substitute this? And sort of new things come up. So that's cool. And then how about for stress management? What's your top tip there? 
Well, for stress management, it's actually recognizing um, what it is that causes you stress. Um, because what causes you stress, Pete, is going to be completely different from what causes me stress. And what causes me stress on a Monday morning might be completely different to what causes me stress on a Friday afternoon. So it's having this self-knowledge. This is why it links back into self-awareness. But in terms of uh, in terms of stress management, it's knowing how you can manage your stress in the most appropriate way. What is it that is right for you? Now, some people might uh, go and um, do some shadow boxing, do some boxing, hit a punch bag, uh, and utilize their energy that way. And they'll, they may do it in a competitive environment. Some people go and play squash. Some people go for a jog. Some people will just like to sit and watch the television. Some people will read a book. Some people will play with their kids. Some people will take their dog out for a walk. Some people will sit and listen to a piece of music. What is it that you need to do on a very regular basis to actually reinvigorate and re-energize yourself and to actually take some time out of your daily working life just to take that moment of looking after yourself and just taking some time out to re-energize yourself. I'm a great advocate of people being selfish. Uh -huh. And what I mean by that is not being selfish, me, 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 me all the time. Uh, this is what I want. This is how I, it's going to be. That is selfish. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that people should be selfish. They should actually look after themselves because by doing that, they're then in a better position to be able to help other people. Uh -huh. And when we fly... The cabin crew, in the case of a decompression, are suggesting that if the oxygen masks come down, you put your oxygen mask on yourself first before you put you help another person. And it's exactly the same way in terms of working to be selfish. What is it that you need to re-energize yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually? in terms of getting to a point where you feel that you're at one with yourself and being the best that you can be. Uh, another example is we may be very good as leaders at delegating and uh, putting responsibility onto other people to help them in terms of their development. But there are certain things that other people cannot do for us. And one of those is nobody else can go and have a cup of coffee on my behalf. Nobody else can go to the toilet for me. Uh -huh. So those are opportunities to just take a break, just to refresh and get it back into a point where you can engage with the world in an appropriate way. We all go to sleep at night. Now, I, I don't know, Pete, I've never come across anybody who's capable of putting their head straight on the pillow and zonko, they've gone. There's that period when we get into bed and we just lie there on the pillow and waiting for sleep to come, in that time, you can actually then start to think, what are some really good things that have happened to me today? 
What is it that's gone well? What have I contributed towards? And then you can concentrate on your breathing, your breath, and you can build in kind of meditative mindfulness techniques if you haven't got time to do them at any other time during the day. So these are all little hints and tips just thrown out to the four winds just to help you in terms of looking at stress management. All right, thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The quote is by Aristotle, anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book? I keep going back to the work of Stephen Covey, which I read at the turn of the century and uh, got introduced with then. And a lot of his work is um, really around his seven habit, habits of highly effective people. And I think to actually practice all of those habits to the way in which Stephen Covey defines is incredibly difficult. So it's something that I aspire towards. Uh-huh. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I'm actually producing a lot of online courses, and uh, I found that uh, as technology has improved, the tools have just got better and better and better. And um, there are some brilliant pieces of software out there that I use in my work, uh, Filmora, Audacity. And utilizing these tools helps me to get the message of emotional intelligence out there. Oh, sure. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? You hear them quote it back to you often? I think the quote that it resonates with me and is quoted back to me often is going back to the Aristotle quote. People get a lot from that and they will say that they really find that there's a lot of power and a lot of strength within that. So just bringing that into people's awareness uh, helps them to understand that, hey, we're all human. We get it wrong. Sometimes we get it right. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Come along and uh, have a look at the EI for Change website, eiforchange.com, or you can go to courses eiforchange.info to have a look at our emotional intelligence courses. Get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to engage with people through social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or get in touch with me direct, Robin, R-O-B-I-N, at eiforchange.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? The call to action is look inwardly, look at your strengths, recognize them, go out, live and breathe them. Don't worry about your weaknesses. Don't worry about trying to take something that is bad and make it not bad. Look at things that you are excellent at and excel at them, master them. Become capable of doing them in the way that only you can do. All right, Robin, thank you. This has been a treat and I wish you all the best in your emotionally intelligent adventures. Thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure. You know, I appreciate a number of Robin's useful reminders here associated with there's no such thing as a positive or a negative emotion. And I've started relabeling them as pleasant and unpleasant emotions. And sometimes it's actually kind of fun and pleasant to be angry. I'm thinking about if I'm doing boxing 
a virtual reality headset. <laughs> I enjoy being angry at that fake person that I'm punching repeatedly. Uh, what's that say about me and my emotional intelligence? I'm not sure. But I dug that reframe and because sometimes it's like there is that second arrow of, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And I like to destigmatize, reframe it and say, hey, you know what? This emotion is giving me some clues and it can serve me in a way. Let's dig in and appreciate what it has to tell me and work with it and make a prudent decision. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP688. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.